P-S-N-Y. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Clean Sweep Podcast, which is Elite Sports New York's Brooklyn Nets podcast. This is your host, a very hoarse Matt Brooks. I'm here with uh, with my co-host, Danny Small. How you feeling? What's what's new with you? Uh, Blazers Knicks tonight? Yeah, yeah, no, all good. Um, yeah, no, I got, obviously, I was just telling you in the pre-show before, uh, Knicks are on a little road trip here, which can be a little nice for me because... And really lock in and kind of watch a lot of the NBA games across the league. Get a chance to watch a lot of Knicks and Nats, but not much more than that right now, unfortunately. But yeah, no, I mean, we've got a lot of talk about with the Nets coming up here. Uh, That was a huge win on Sunday against the Denver Nuggets. Actually, team I got to see in person against the Knicks, which was actually the final nail in Fisdale's coffin. And it was a little different from their... uh, they, they put a 37-point smacking on the Knicks in the MSG, and then Nets come out, and Nets get that big win over them. Um, it's pretty funny. I just I, I have these two different perspectives at all times, and it's it's weird to uh, see the NBA through that lens, different lenses sometimes. That is funny because Denver looked kind of rough against the Nets. Um, I'm mm-hmm. going to apologize ahead of time. I'm One, I'm really sick, and two, uh, I, <laughs> I, I lost my voice this weekend. I'm broke. I live in Brooklyn, so I've been working a lot, just doing stupid serving jobs. So I lost my voice, needless to say. So if I if my voice is breaking like crazy, I hope that that doesn't bother anybody. <laughs> but yeah, it is what it is. I I want to be on schedule with this podcast. I'm not going to wait for my voice to clear up. So um, yeah, let's let's get into that Denver game. Uh, first things first. I think it's worth mentioning. Tough schedule for Denver. Um, they work what was that was three games in four days which is kind of tough some legs not gonna point any fingers but there's definitely a heavy set european guy on that team that (laughs) looked pretty winded and defended the rim about as well as i could um looked a little tired in that game uh a lot of settling from many guys not just Jokic. uh a lot of like 15 18 footers that were fading away from their offense they're a really weird team to watch um they 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 have almost like I was trying to figure it out. They have kind of the the problem. They they remind me a lot of last year's Celtics where they almost have one too many guys. Like Tory Craig doesn't play at all and I'm a huge Tory <clears throat> Craig guy. And then their offense just yields a lot of like I don't know, just iffy 20 footers that don't really, you know, have as much value in today's NBA. Defensively they're great, but the Nets, I mean, the way the ball was humming, I, I put up a couple possessions today on my Twitter. Um, so if you want, you can take a look at those. Um, but, yeah, the way the ball was humming, they kind of bust holes in that switching defense that, that Denver likes to run. They've been really creative with a lot of different uh, – just flexing different defenses this year, whether it be the zone or uh, the uh, switching defense, I guess, necessarily. But I, I, I was really impressed. I thought that was the best win of the season, all things considered. Uh, with Denver's schedule, but that's kind of my overview on this. I know we can get into individual performances a little bit more, but what's your main takeaway from that game? And compare it actually to the Knicks. 
I think I think for sure the main takeaway you posted a bunch of clips from it. Um, I think they started out their first seven field goals. They got assists on all of them. I forget if it continued after that, if it was eight or nine or whatever. But I know in the beginning at least, like I I think I comment or I quote tweeted one of your things. That first shift kind of before they you know bring in Musa or whoever off the bench. That first shift where it was Prince Harris Dinwiddie. Um, Allen and uh, who am I forgetting? Uh, Temple, of course. How can I forget him? But that first shift, the ball was moving. Guys were passing up good shots for great shots. Um, you know, you got you really got Denver kind of flying around. And you know, we say three games in four nights. Obviously, that's tough all on the road. But you got to take advantage of those. Good teams know when there's blood in the water. Uh, I know. Obviously, the, the Boston game didn't go so well for Denver. The uh, the Knicks game, they, I mean, they shot the lights out. The bench was incredible. Uh, I think they scored seventy four points. Uh, Mason Plumlee was like, you know, facilitating for everyone. Uh, they were hitting three after three, and really against the Nets, which this was a big difference between their first game against the Nuggets, which they lost. They did a much better job shutting the bench down. I think he, um, we saw Jeremy Grant get hot late there and kind of hit some threes and kind of looked for a second like. Brooklyn was going to blow it in the fourth quarter. But other than Grant hitting some threes in that fourth quarter, I mean, Hernan Gomez didn't shoot that well. Um, who else? Monty Morris, he didn't shoot that well. As a, as a bench unit, they didn't really um, – they didn't take advantage of the Nets like like they have before and like they have you know to other teams because I know it's kind of hard to compare the Knicks and the Nets right now. They're in yeah. very different very different places but um, that being said, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I was up close and personal and they were just, you know, they were hitting everything, you know, just cutting, passing, moving guys. Even when the Knicks would have good closeouts, they're just knocking down shots. And against the Nets, the Nets were able to uh, really get out on shooters other than, like I said, Grant. Um, and it was just a, a nice win for the Nets because I know they're they're kind of getting on a little hot streak here, but. You gotta, <clears throat> you kind of have to look at some of the teams that they've been beating. Um, it's not the toughest schedule right now. Yep. I think hat tip Zach Cronin. They're two and three against teams over five hundred without Kyrie Irving. So, you know, it's like, yeah, they're playing well, but are they really good enough to beat some of these, you know, upper level teams? And I think this showed that, you know, at least on a nightly, night to night basis. They can beat the Denver's of the league. You know, they can beat some of these bigger teams. I mean, they beat Boston recently. Um, obviously, things are going to change when guys come back and everything, and the Nets are going to get reinforcements. But this was just, I think, a nice like team win. I think even the even after the game, like Dinwiddie, Atkinson, they all were like, this one felt big. This one felt like a big win. Which, you know, I think you don't want to put too much stock into it in a December game. But I think that's good. Like kind of like reinvigorates the team, gives them a little kind of energy uh, to kind of carry into this next stretch of. Yeah, I mean, I think that like the 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 addition of Kyrie and KD gives you like a shot against those top top notch teams. Obviously, so if you're mm-hmm. looking at like a Milwaukee, maybe Philadelphia if they get it together, um, the Clippers, the Lakers. I'm still holding out hope for the Jazz, but we'll see. That's kind of gives you that edge. I don't think that the net. I mean, I, even on like a single game basis, I just don't know if the Nets are going to beat any of those teams. Um, even if it's like an April game, I just, I don't know if I mm-hmm. see that, but against like these fair. tier two teams like Boston, even Miami, uh, Denver, who I really do think is like a tier two team this year. I would not be super mm-hmm. scared of them in the playoffs unless Jokic randomly 
um, ramps it up and, and, it up and finds himself. I don't know. <laughs> He is. I mean, I know he played well against the Nets, you know, put up good numbers and whatnot. But, I mean, they're playing so slow around him this year. They, I, th- I think now they're actually they're second to last in pace. But they're playing really slow. And I think to kind of touch on one of your earlier points where they were 20-footer great shots, uh, Malone, I forget if it was after the Celtics game or after Brooklyn, but he said they're leading the league in shots with four seconds or less on the shot clock, which a lot of times when you get those shots, they're not going to be the best looks, Right. which I think is just a product of them playing so slow. And how much is Jokic's slow start affecting their pace right now is, I think, a question that I haven't seen enough of the Nuggets to really be able to say definitively. But I think there's definitely some issues with them right there where I would agree with you on that tier two ranking for them right now. Right. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like I had more, like, Nuggets takeaways than, than Nets takeaways. I mean, mm-hmm. Nets have just kind of been doing what they do. Um, I thought it was a really good, probably Atkinson's best coaching job. Like, typically you'd think you'd want to stay away from involving Nikola Jokic altogether. Like, you just want to make him out of the action as much as possible. But he actually focused most of his attention, both on offense and defense, on Jokic. So, on offense, they said, let's give... Jokic as many three-point shots as possible let's just let him bomb Mm -hmm. bomb away you know it's like it was like the perfect game for DeAndre Jordan because he just dropped coverage Jokic to death and and Jokic had like feet like at least six feet of space on multiple three-point shots he Mm -hmm. just couldn't knock him down he's shooting like 22 percent from the field at this point I think he shot 39 percent two years ago that's looking like more of an anomaly than him being a plus shooter (laughs) I, I he might not be that great of an outside shooter as it turns out um, so they did that on offense. And then on the other side of the floor, I mean, Dinwiddie knew that Jokic would be backpedaling on every single possession. And Jokic has like the Matador center defense where his hands are up, but he's not really ever in the right position. Even if he hangs all the way back next to the rim, he's still somehow just, I don't know. There's still somehow room for you to squeeze in and get a layup in, whether it be, you know, stuttering your footwork or doing one of those sneaky little Euro steps and a scoop shot that Dinwiddie did. I thought it was really smart. To, you know, he's already having a year where he's disinterested and he's somebody that gets really frustrated easily. So for them to attack him and leave him open like he's, a, I don't know, like a scrub essentially on the other end of the floor was really interesting. Now, keep in mind, he still had a good game statistically, but mm-hmm. I mean, there were stretches where it's like, you know, down the stretch would have they been better suited to having Mason Plumlee in? I really was wondering that because Dinwiddie went at him the last two possessions straight and it was almost too easy for him. Uh, or I guess the last in the last five minutes, he went at him twice and then they actually took him out for the final possession. At that point, Dinwiddie was so on fire that he scored around Jeremy Grant, mm-hmm. who was like playing like a de facto rim protector role. But, you know, I, it is... I thought that was really a, a, a cunning performance by Atkinson. Um, the other guy who deserves a big shout-out is Torian Prince, who I thought really took Paul Millsap out of the offense, who has I, really been Denver's best player this year. I, I thought he was outstanding. I mean, since last year's playoffs, Millsap has been putting up some outrageous post numbers. I think he's above the like 1.1 points per possession threshold. He was um, at one point a leader in points and in, in – uh, in post points per possession during last year's playoffs. And I think he was in that sort of leaderboard this year. I remember Zach Lowe pulled that up uh, recently. And Taurine Prince, I mean, I've said it since he first started playing in Brooklyn. Like, he's a really, really good post defender. It was another perfect matchup 
for uh, Brooklyn's front court guys. Yeah, and I think with with Prince for sure, if he can cover those fours, those you know bigger kind of like post dominant fours like the Millsaps of the world, that just opens up you know so much for Brooklyn. I mean that like I said, the first shift when they were just passes moving, ball was moving, getting guys open looks and stuff. I think playing with Prince at the four is a big part of that. He's kind of grown to the point where he can shoot three for thirteen and score nine points. But at the end of the day, we're sitting here talking about you know how he did a good job, you know bringing in 11 rebounds at four assists. He just did a lot of like little things where I think going into this year, you were thinking more of him as like a kind of a three and D guy in the sense where, you know, you knew he was going to be a good spot up shooter. You're going to hope you're going to get some scoring from him, get some defense. But I think he's kind of, I think, I mean, I've, I've seen you say this on Twitter before. So um, you kind of incepted me at one point, I think, but uh, just kind of him, He's turning into much more of a player than than we kind of expected him to be at this point. Yep. Yeah. His development in one month has been crazy. I, I, it's, it's really him and Allen have been the guys that have really stood out to me over the last month. And then Garrett Temple too, who is just like this all around menace. He was outstanding defensively. He had the, I remember a couple of weeks ago, Iman Shumpert really, really locked down um, the Celtics young duo of, of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, basically on back-to-back possessions. Uh, Garrett Temple did that down the stretch yesterday. He guarded Jamal Murray and forced him into this tough fadeaway 14-footer. And then the possession before that, he actually sort of spun his way around a, a screen, a Jokic screen near like the elbow, and contested um, Gary Harris into also a really, really tough shot. So I, you know... the. Him and Prince, I thought, really were the guys that, in terms of all-around performance, those were the guys that held everything together. And then Dinwiddie's just doing what he continues to do, which is just be a downhill <clears throat> force. It's it's a it's a simple strategy that they're running, but it's working well. I mean, you <laughs> like how much do you really want to change what they're doing? I, it it does feel like you're watching the same movie mm-hmm. over and over every single night. But I mean, and I, if you're a Nets fan, you really it's a good complain. movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a good movie. It's a fun movie. I give it five stars. Right yeah, now. exactly, exactly. So, um, and I don't, I, I don't know when I'm gonna be able to put, but I'm just looking at the box score. So Joe Harris, a guy we're not really talking much. Two for five from three. Again, he's shooting, you know, forty whatever percent from deep. And I was looking before; he's eighth all time in three point percentage, like yeah. NBA history, which. Is like I, I guess I should have realized that because I mean he's been so good for a few years now, but it just that kind of like blew my mind. He's you know a forty forty three point one percent from three, and that's way up there now with six point three attempts per game this season. He's shooting forty five point five percent. I mean, is he kind of flying under the radar because he hasn't had many of these huge games? Um, I know he had just had the you know five or six threes the other day. But he's just another one of those guys who's just perfect piece in the puzzle. You know, I think during this nine and three streak, he's kind of getting overlooked a little bit. But I mean, Joe Harris, have we're we're still we're still going strong. Yeah, I uh, I I kind of want to get into their upcoming schedule if that's all right. If you don't mind me pivoting yeah, a little yeah. bit, I'm I'm good. I just had to throw in my uh, you know, I had to throw in my Joe Harris. Your Joe Harris, there. I, I yeah, of it's, course. I have Joe Harris attrition. I still do. Yeah, I'm, st- I'm still like, I'm, I'm. He he's awesome. I want him to start taking more bad shots. That's all. I'm at this mm-hmm. point getting frustrated with it. I feel like Atkinson. Atkinson had like a, a quote. I think it was at the end of last year where he was like, 
he he said along the lines of like, I wish you would take more bad shots, but that's not who Joe is. He's like too good of a guy to sacrifice the mm-hmm. offense like that, which is like the most Joe Harris thing ever. <laughs> to be Virginia, so selfless. He, 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 he comes he comes from a long line of that where yep. it's kind of just uh you know, team over team over me. But I agree. He should be taking more bad shots because I want to see more uh more Joe Harris threes. Me too. I like he had this jab step the other week where I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah. I know, I know the one you're talking that one, about. That one definitely made rounds. I think, I think Pooch was the one who threw that out. Um, mm-hmm. So let's let's look at the upcoming schedule. They're playing the Hornets for the 900th time. I actually didn't yeah, even right? watch that Friday game. I'm not really planning to, um, just because I'm watching them again this Wednesday. Uh, so. Yeah, I I don't really have much on the Hornets. It's I mean the Nets kind of I like what they're becoming where they just they're a team that beats bad teams. That's kind of where they were by like February of last year. They're already kind mm-hmm. of in that mode, which is exciting. Um, but the this weekend is interesting. They play Toronto on Saturday at a seven thirty game, and then the next day they go from Toronto all the way back to Barclays, which is about an hour and a half, I would say, of flight maybe an hour. It's not as much as you think it would be. Um, depending on what I'm getting so much into travel details. Basically you're looking at like three <laughs> hours of travel time. Um, it's but it's Matt Brooks travel agent. Yeah. yeah I'm the kayak, the kayak podcast over yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Expedia.com podcast. That's, uh, that's going to be our, we got to get, uh, some advertising our, from them. Our sponsor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, so they go, Back to the Barclays Center for a 6 p.m., which is a little bit earlier. Uh, got the police coming through. That can't be good. <laughs> Gotta love living in Brooklyn. Uh-uh. Uh, <laughs> uh, 6 p.m. game versus the 76ers. So you're basically going against two top, I think, is Toronto the five seed right now, four seed at the moment? I think it's, they're the four seed right the now. the four seed. So you're going through two of the top four seeds in the East. Um in the span They're, of 24 it's hours. Four, Sixers four, Raptors five right yep. now as, okay. of, as of Monday. Really? Okay. God, the East is kind of top-heavy this year. Um, okay, cool. Weird, so, yeah, yeah that's, that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. So, yeah, so you're going through that type of competition. I love this Toronto team. I think that the last week we've kind of learned they're, again, they're maybe like tier two and a half. Like, they mm-hmm. can't even beat quite the tier two teams, but they're really, really strong defensively. I don't really see the Nets winning that game. Um, that Toronto team is just kind of like designed to beat up on the Nets. They're just big. They're imposing. They're disgustingly dominant defensively, like just outrageously talented. And then the Sixers will be fun. I mean, they haven't played each other since that first round series. We'll see if there's any like <laughs> bad blood, but that's going to be a good weekend. I-, I think that'll be the real test of like, oh, are the Nets better without Kyrie? I think you'll you'll get a better taste of like the the reality to that take. Yeah, which obviously, I think we can both agree that that's kind of a ridiculous take to say. So here's you know, the thing. you're better without this All NBA guy. But here's the thing. I do I I do understand the the whole idea of this team is playing as well as you know they have all season without him. Dinwiddie's really taking a, a step up. I do get all that stuff, but at least me personally, I I obviously think they're going to be better when they get Kyrie back. I think ceiling-wise, they obviously need him, but I think that they do a lot of things better with him not in the fold. Now, the thing that you have to think about is that 
at the beginning of the year when he was playing with them, the offense wasn't the issue. Like, there's all these stats about mm-hmm. them passing the ball less, but they really were like a top five offensive team. Their issue was on defense. Since then, they've upgraded Nwaba's role. They've brought in Shumpert, who, I mean, advanced was, yeah. stats don't love him, but I think his impact team-wide has been really instrumental to what they've been doing. I it just He adds a lot in terms of, like, intensity, especially among those backups. Um, so you Temple's have all taking that. a step. Temple's taking a step forward, especially, like, all around, but his defensive game has been really, really key for the Nets since – Kyrie's gone down. Right. And I think that comes from comfortability on offense. Like he just he's more involved on offense. He's not just a guy like taking, you know, hand in the face spot up shots. He's really getting to like run a little bit and pick and roll. I bring up all this to say I don't think we can be like make an indicative, okay, the Nets are a hundred percent better without Kyrie until we get him back with this group in these rotations. And he's basically taking Tao Pinson's or he's putting Spencer Dinwiddie in Tao Pinson's role. And we, I, I just need to see him back with this specific group. That's kind of my end point. We'll see when we get there with that. But, yeah, and I mean, it, it, with a guy with a guy who's that ball dominant, there's always there's always kind of you know a little learning curve to bring him back in the in the rotation and whatnot. I I just I I agree with you. That I think you put it well when you said you know this their ceiling is way higher. There might be, you know, when Kyrie eventually comes back, there might be some, you know, growing pains initially again because, you know, what was he played 11 games. Now he hasn't played in 12. So they're still trying to kind of figure out exactly what they are with him in the lineup. Um, But I think a lot of the whole conversation is, one, they're playing some not so great teams. When we get to Toronto and Philly, we'll, we'll learn a lot more about this particular group. But the other thing is Dinwiddie's playing at an all-star level right now. I think, obviously, you know, it's so far away. You, I wouldn't put money on him to make the all-star game with, you know, Levert and Kyrie coming back eventually. But right at this mo- very moment, Dinwiddie's been, you know, one of the best guards in the East, if not the league, which I think is kind of, for me at least, the driving force between the or behind this uh, this kind of 9-3 and three stretch without Kyrie. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how they. I'm interested. I mean, so Dinwiddie's efficiencies have fallen a little bit, just just because he's taking so mm, many shots yeah, for them. So usage is up, and yep, what you expect. Um, the one thing I want to say on Kyrie, I don't want to get too much into this till we see him back. He does eat up a lot of shot clock early. Like we were talking about Denver, how they take so many shots mm-hmm. at the end of the clock. Kyrie definitely likes to pound the air out of the ball, and he rightly so should because he's an incredible ball handler. But you're not getting as many passes in, you know, possession-wise with him on the floor. I mean, the numbers show that. And I, I don't think it's because he's a ball hog necessarily. It's just that they are quite literally using they're, – they're, they're left with less shot clock to make those type of plays. That's the biggest thing I'd say that was different between the Nets yeah, with I, him in and the Nets without him in. I, I mean, I would agree with that. It's I mean, and it's – Part of, a lot of this is on Atkinson to kind of figure out the give and take when Kyrie's back because, I mean, Kyrie's one of the best ball handlers, one of the best ISO, one of the best one-on-one players in the league, you know, in the league scene in a long time. You obviously want to utilize that that kind of aspect of his game. But on the other hand, you're seeing now, you know, that first shift, I keep going back to it, but with the ball movement, you know, guys cutting, guys spotting up, passing up a good shot for a great shot. I kind of would uh, kind of would say you want to see a little bit more of that, 
but you also you don't want to take Kyrie so much out of his you know his one on one game because that's again that's you know part of what makes him so great. Right, right. Um, let's switch gears a little bit. I think Sunday is the date when the Nets have to figure out their sixteenth player. Mm-hmm. Where are you at right now on that? Oh, I think I think I'm at the point where. I mean, I think depending on what the money situation is, because there's obviously Im- different implications there. But I, I, I don't know if they just move on from uh, from Wilson Chandler here because Nawaba's taking a step up. He's got kind of a role now. Chandler, or uh, I'm sorry, not Chandler, uh, Shumpert. Now that they signed him, he's kind of showing. I know, like you said, the advanced analytics don't love him, but he's definitely got an energy. And enthusiasm. I know talking to Kenny at the Knicks Nets game, he was, you know, couldn't say enough about kind of just that uh that energy for for lack of a better word that he brings to the locker room. I don't think he's gone. I I like your idea with Musa, maybe trying to pass him off to somebody else for just some kind of draft compensation. I don't think that's a terrible idea. Um but I think it really comes down to whether or not they want to put up with Rodion's Kurux's stuff going on. Because um, he's kind of a non-factor, but I wouldn't. I, right now, I think my gut is saying that they might just let Chandler go and just figure it out from there. Because I mean, they haven't they haven't had him for a game. It's like he doesn't even feel like losing him at this point. Yeah, what are they planning to get from him? Like he's, if you watched him last year, it's like he's just he's he, slower. I, I'll put it that way. He he fell out of the rotation pretty hard in Philly at one point. I mean, yep. I, and I, I, like Clippers was a, like even worse. Yeah, he, he was he was kind of like a throw in, and it was a, I felt like last year was a situation where it was like, oh, he's the type of guy that Philly could really use right now. This will be perfect for him. He'll he'll come out, you know, and he'll kind of look more like his old self a little bit in Philly. And I don't feel like that really happened. He shot, well. and then this year, he sh- yeah he shot well, but I don't. I don't. I just. I'm. Maybe it's. Maybe it's just recency bias. That I've seen Nuaba and Chumpert, you know, and all these guys do some kind of good things recently. I. I don't know. I just don't. It doesn't. And to, again, it doesn't even feel like they're losing much because he hasn't played a second this year. Yeah, it's. I mean, I. Ju- I wish there was. I. I actually thought that Musa was a little bit like. I know we're going off such a small sample, and he still barfed up two twenty-eight footers from like the logo. One of those, one of those is great. Oh man! <laughs> one of those is, oh man! Oh, he's I said, killer. but he tries like, on defense, and he's got this floater yeah. game. And I'm like, you know what? Like, man, if they can get him right, I mean, that is the classic I, guy for the Nets. I'd rather have a, I'd rather have a guy who's overconfident than you know a guy who's timid out there, right? Which, Musa, Musa doesn't lack for any confidence. I, I think I, I said on Twitter the other day, he go he, every time he touches the ball, it's like he thinks he has a heat check, and he's like, he just hit seven shots in a row, and he's like, he's like ready to just launch from anywhere, right. which obviously is frustrating. It's not something you want out of you know a twenty year old kid who you don't want you know taking a ton of shots, but part of it is like, you know, this kid's he's got like guts, he's got something. I don't know. I I just I find myself laughing half the time like at at half of the like crazy stuff he does. Yeah, and then like Rody too, that's another one. Like 
kind of irrational, but I don't know. They've seen it from him. There's just like, I don't know. They've, they've put a lot into the future of these guys. Like the, that's because I wrote this article last week and it was like, you know, they're, they could probably give him up for a second, but the Nets like don't really like to just punt on. I don't remember the last guy they really, really punted on. Like mm-hmm. just I, outside of, I guess, Rondé. I guess Rondé Hollis Jefferson was the last guy I can think of. I wouldn't even call that punting on him. It was I mean, he was around for, those guys. You know, he was he was he was around for a long time. They had you know some some kind of different things going. Yeah, with with Kyrie and KD and DeAndre coming in, it was almost like a he was just kind of lost in the shuffle. I, I mean, I think they definitely. I mean, he was here for how many years? He had more than enough time to really make you know an imprint on uh, on on the uh, the front office if he wanted to. But on the other hand, I think. I haven't watched a ton of the Raptors, but I think he's kind of found a little home in Toronto. I mean, I know he's probably not, you know, going too crazy because we kind of know his limitations, but um, I think the Nets gave him enough time to, to, to show he was, he was a long-term piece and never really came. I mean, they're just using him correctly. Like some guys just aren't meant to like play in Brooklyn to be completely honest with you. Like Mm -hmm. they're Toronto. I mean, you know, Nurse really fits to his players. Atkinson likes to run a system. He's a system coach. And, I mean, mm-hmm. it's not like a complicated, like, Warriors motion offense system. But it is, he has a certain type of guys. He needs guys that at least are somewhat capable from three. You know, Ronda is this weird, like, small ball center that will defend five positions and go for offensive boards and, like, be utilized as a cutter. Like, I just... He makes more sense on that team, to be completely honest with you. But I don't even want to get too much into Rondé. Yeah. I just the I, the point that I'm trying to make is I don't remember the last time because the the archetype that Kurooks is is that uh, that's something that I think is very he's netsy in terms of what he could be. You know, this mm-hmm. like multi-tooled, um, you know, I guess offensive player especially as like a, a spot up option kind of like a transition threat and then on defense ideally he can guard multiple positions like that he's very netsy in a lot of ways for what they like to develop yeah i don't i i mean obviously he's got some things going on off the court that muddies his situation a little bit um but yeah i i just i know they got to clear that spot and i know if they could like if they could get draft assets or anything back for one of the young guys that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world but i just again like we've said i don't think roadie is going to be roadie or musa are going to be the guys they get rid of um i think they're they're willing to let those guys have a little bit more rope which is why i think chandler is going to eventually just end up being the uh the casualty of the uh the roster um all right let's i'm I'm thinking we just about wrap this up. Oh, did you want to give a like prediction for this next weekend? I'm going to exclude the Hornets game. Do you think they'll win either of those games? Um, I don't know. It's I'm like I'm like in between cuz I mean, we've seen like the Denver game, they win a close one late, but then we've seen, you know, recently the Heat game where they just kind of like collapsed against one of these better teams with better closers. I want to say they split but if you're asking me like pick one of the games that they would win, I guess it's Philly at home just because you know being at home. But that second night of a back to back, like I wouldn't be shocked yeah. if they go zero and two. But I'd I'd love to see them split. 
Have you um, watched Philly this year? I, I have barely watched them at all. Uh, I watched them. I watched them a few times early, and then I saw them against the Knicks live. Uh, I mean, they're you know they, they are what they are. They're they're kind of trying to figure themselves out as being this like really just huge gigantic team. But they're good defenders. I mean, Ben Simmons is a beast. He's obviously got his flaws with he still doesn't shoot a ton of threes, even though he now has two career ones. Um, but he's just like defensively, he's a beast. He can cover yep. five positions. Yep. Um, I really, I, and I talked to him, uh, I brought up in the, in our last pod, but I just, I'm, I'm really impressed with his game and just how kind of like Swiss army knife he is. And then, I mean, with Embiid, you know, against Jared Allen, he tends to, he tends to feast on Jared Allen, Mm -hmm. which maybe this is the new and improved Jared Allen. Things will be different, but we'll see. I mean, I think Philly is going to be one of those really tough teams once once they kind of figure each other out, Brett Brown can kind of uh, get them on a roll. I think they're going to be a dangerous team in the playoffs. But then again, the Nets, they could be catching them at the right time kind of before they, they really put everything together and become this, you know, this dominant team that they thought they were going to be. Dinwiddie uh, Simmons is a really good matchup because yeah, Simmons I like that, cause... erased <clears throat> D'Angelo Russell last year. I'll, I'll, that'll yeah. be fun. Um yeah, it's I, like length. Obviously, Simmons is bigger, but length on length, I love. I love those matchups. Me too. I think that's the perfect counter to a guy like Dinwiddie because he's either so long that he gets around guards, or he's just so quick he just scoots under center. So that'll be fun to mm-hmm. see. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, and I, I'm interested to see what the Nets look like against a, a really, really, really formidable, huge team. I don't know if they've really encountered that. There's a Really, only a couple of teams that are like that this year. The Bucks are always kind of flexing in big lineups. They've done that forever. Um, the Lakers are ginormous. Nets have yet to mm-hmm. play them. They have yet to play the Bucks, and then they have yet to play Philly. So this will be a, a different look for them. This is quite, quite literally a small versus big matchup. So we'll see how the Nets do in this type of a type of a game. Well, you're leaving one team out. The Knicks, they play very oh. big. They have a million power forwards. True, and the Nets yeah. are 2-0 against them. True, although I don't know if I that know, really counts. I know. <laughs> Knicks, Knicks versus Sixers, That's there's a little discrepancy there. But, in, but Indiana, I figured I had, to, I had to throw that in there. Indiana's yeah, Indiana's big. big. And they, they, I, just, I just saw them the other day, too. They're good. Which I, I'm not, I was almost going to give it my random shout-out, but TJ McConnell, like I was like enamored with him. In the second quarter, he had like, eight assists or something like that <laughs> just a form he's actually former sixer but um yeah i, I, I was i'm not gonna give tj mcconnell my random shout out but i figured i'd give him a little love because uh i think i made a joke like he's playing like john stockton right now and people were like he would never be john stockton i'm like yeah obviously i know tj mcconnell's not john stockton <laughs> listen he just had like eight assists though give me a break let's speaking of random shout outs let's do those um I'll let you go first. Okay. Um, kind of like a washed random shout out, but I got a men's league game tonight. Back at it. Oh yeah. Again, we we lost our first game by like fifteen to twenty, but we'll be all right. We'll we'll be fine. We hit a couple threes. Um, we're in we're in a better division this year, so we're uh we're, and we were missing one of our better guys too, so we'll be uh we'll be fine. But it's just. I just write about basketball and just criticize like these NBA players. So I think it's like humbling to be able to go out there and miss a couple free throws and be like, Oh yeah, it's not that easy. So, uh, what, what type of, what's your player? Like, 
who is your comp? This is such a uh, NBA Twitter question. That's not any any not anymore because I'm too slow and I'm not good at defense anymore. But I guess like when I was in high school, and this is a uh, I'm I can't tell if this is me being like too humble or like too cocky. But I was like a Pat Beverly. I was like oh wow the short. I was like a shorter two guard um, who just like basically the other team's like best wing or guard was basically just like sick me on him. I didn't have many responsibilities on offense other than being like a secondary ball handler. And we just, we fed the post like crazy. So I didn't have a ton to do on offense. So, so my defense was just, was like, all right, who's their, their best player. All right. I'm just going to go make his life miserable for, you know, in the next 32 minutes. And I got cooked a lot of games. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I was not, I'm not like a fantastic player, but I was like that, uh, little, little, uh, annoying dog like patrick beverly can be sometimes drawing stupid charges and like getting tangled in someone's jersey or whatever um but yeah a pat bev i hate him and love him but that was always like the kind of guy i tried to be i think i think mine is i don't know what was the one i came up with this summer uh offensively limited well not even offensively limited let's just go with unathletic small harry giles Love to pass from the uh, from the elbow. I like it <laughs> as a like as a as a big. Even though I'm like six two, which is not big, obviously, in, in other players. In, like, reg- in regular like pickup. Yeah, I'm like usually that. six two is six two is yeah six two is considered a big. You know, quote unquote. I'm the disappointment. Like people always pick me up for size, and then they're like, "Why are you playing like you're like this weird like hybrid?" <laughs> Like what is this? Why are you playing like you're Harry Giles? Exactly. I like I love to shoot twenty footers. I I try to shoot threes. I suck at them. I'm about as like offensively well versed as Harry Giles. Honestly, like it. I, it's a pretty good comp for me. It's been my latest. Uh, I I like look for cutters to a fault. Like I'm always like, come on, cut after I get a <laughs> after I get the yeah, ball yeah, yeah. <laughs> after setting it's a screen. Scary. I'm like, cut, cut to the basket. Yeah, no, like, I, I like takes that. it way like too that. seriously. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes you need that guy who's just who's always just moving the ball, looking for cutters, oh, yeah. setting screens, you know, doing the dirty work. Oh yeah, because you know, you know, like ninety five percent of the time in pickup, there's like one guy on on each one or two guys on each team that just wants every shot. Shoot, and, yes, you know, like, I'm like, go yeah, for it. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's all you, man. I'm good. I'm good. You don't want to see me shoot. I'll do like a random. I I, I can get to the rim here and there. Like I'll I, I'll I'll shock people. I have like slow. I don't, who's like a really like he looks slow. I guess like I'm trying to think, not like Harden, but where it, like it looks slow, Gallinari? but I somehow to get to the yeah, like a Gallinari. Gallin- gets to the Gallinari, rim. he's not he's not that quick, but like he's he's got he's that. There you at know, the rim, all of a sudden, know how to use his body, use his <laughs> length. Like yep, yeah, that's me at the rim. Uh, all right, well that's 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 a pretty good random shout out. Uh, let's see, I have two, well. Okay, my, my shout-out is I don't know if I'm going to be in a hardcover magazine. We'll see if that's the case. I did get invited to contribute something on Hoop Mag. We'll see. That would be the first time I actually have my name in written print. So working on that right now, that's what I'm working on before we got on this podcast. So that's like my half shout-out. My other shout-out is I haven't gotten uh, snitched on like this on Twitter before. I Not to this degree. <laughs> I tweeted uh, – I, I went – I went to a bar yesterday, watched a little football, got home, watched the Nets game, 
there was a couple beverages in me. I may have sent off a, a rather rude tweet about Musa and Teo Pinson. <laughs> it was along the lines of like, I don't know how the Nets win with a, a backup backcourt of Teo Pinson and Musa. Of course, that's the tweet that everybody is, you know, liking and sharing versus my other nice things I have to say. Somebody on Twitter, and I'm not even going to give them the, the, the decency of a shout out or, uh, you know, saying they're at or whatever, has the audacity to tag Teo Pinson. <laughs> d- that's the, the worst. Tweet. That's. That's the worst thing ever. And I purposely don't, like, tag players just for that reason of, like, I don't feel like – like, I don't care what they think. Of, yeah, like, I, whatever. I'm just talking basketball. Like, yeah. I'm not here to be like, oh, like, I want I want this person to know I'm talking badly about them. And it's the people who tag them in it oh, is, like, the weirdest people. It's you're like, the worst person. Yeah, just snitching. Like You are the worst person. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, big shout That's, out to that guy. You're You're that guy. That's one of the uh, out of like if we could we could go on like a a list of like the worst people on Twitter. That guy is up near the top of the list for sure, for sure. Yeah, it's it's. I think that might be the worst because you know you're looking for validation from that player, but you're also yeah, just it, being a huge. You're being a huge snitch. Like there's nowhere on this. Yeah, so. was like was he expecting like. Pinson to be like, oh wow, like send him a DM. Big thanks ups. for Here's letting, free yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks for letting me know, like that that this guy with like you know a thousand followers is is tweeting mean things about me. I really appreciate this. It's like, it's come on, man. I think it's really hard to be like objective because like I don't. There's like being a there's like a different types of reporting. Like you can report news and like give quotes and all that. That's very valuable. And then you can also be like objective and like break down like what I a little bit what I do like with video and stuff and like sort of interject opinions but with like supportive numbers and video and whatever but it's really hard I think at times I struggle with that because I I am like I think I'm pretty empathetic as a person so and I and I there are definitely situations where people will shit on me for being like oh you read that play wrong like I've had a lot of comments like this, especially ever since mm-hmm. um joining Nets Daily which has a pretty active comment section People can be totally ruthless and be like, you know, uh, that sentence sucked. Like I had somebody just yeah. dig at me for my sentence structure last uh, yeah. week, or like say, oh, you completely read that play wrong. That was zone, not man to man. Blah blah blah. So I understand like how it's if somebody online is like talking shit about you, that can kind of hurt your feelings. But at the same time, it's like I'm also trying to be objective. Like that's why people are either paying me a little bit. <laughs> or at least featuring me on their website is because I'm here to provide analysis. Like I'm not going to just sacrifice my opinion to like appease people. So that's a big internal struggle for me. It always has been. It always will be. It's like, I don't want to hurt people's feelings and like build animosity with, with, uh, I guess with players, but it is kind of hard. I think it's a really tough balance as someone that writes about basketball. You have to find that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you have to be critical sometimes. I 100%. Mean, it's just, it is what it is, and, you know, if people want to be offended by it. That's, you know, whatever. I mean, and, the like, that being said, like, I've had people criticize me for things I've said where, I, like, half like, half the time I'll be like, that's, like, you're, you're an idiot for getting mad about that. But yeah. then there's a good portion of the time where I'm like, ooh, yeah, no, I think, I think that's actually a valid criticism. So, yeah. I mean – Listen, it's just it's a weird yeah it's a weird weird place to be when you're getting criticized like that too. Right. But hey, I mean 
no snitching. If anyone's talking, if anyone's talking bad about me on the internet, I don't ever want someone to like tag me in it and be like, yo, check this out. Like, like this guy said you suck. Like, just leave me out of it. I I don't really have much to offer either. I I don't like have any tickets or anything like that. I'll be like, hey man, want like a, I don't know, want to listen to my podcast? That's all I can really offer. Yeah, I guess. I guess there's a difference between us and Pinson, but yeah, no, just only mine. Status wise, a little different. Yeah. Hey, maybe maybe they'll see my men's league game tonight. I don't know. Maybe they'll be there. Some formidable, yeah, perimeter yeah. defense That's... clips. Uh, oh yeah. All right, I'll let you go. Um, I'm gonna try to work on a little bit of writing. It's still absolutely pouring outside, which is like ideal weather for listening to depressing music and getting some work done. So. Yeah. I'm it's let good, you know. uh, good writing weather, but yeah. 100%. So good pod, good week, and we will uh, we'll see how our predictions for uh, the back to back this weekend go. Yep, yep. You're one and one. I'm I'm zero and two. We'll see who's right. Uh, all right, Danny. I will talk to you next all time. Right. Uh, I will see you. I guess we'll talk next Monday or Tuesday when it works. Sounds like a plan. We'll know a lot more about the next. Podcast.